Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Clam comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to OKF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the home bunker. You know, folks, for close to three years, it'll be three years when we hit March 2023, we have been living with a global health pandemic in a global health pandemic. We've been living and expected to work and continue to go about life as quote unquote normal. And my guest today has co-founded an organization called Marked by COVID. Kristen Urquiza lost not only her father, but four other members of her family. And what's really troubling as we were going through our conversation is the purposeful erasure and gaslighting that has happened around COVID. Now, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that had it not been for the Biden administration, we probably would have never received vaccines or had a large scale nationwide vaccine rollout. If it had not been for Donald Trump and weaponizing our public health crisis and weaponizing COVID-19 and pinning neighbor against neighbor, then we maybe possibly wouldn't have ever lost over a million lives to COVID. Because by the time that the Biden administration came into office, if you remember, they held a memorial for at that time, January 2021, they held a memorial for the 400,000 lives that had been lost to that date. The first six months of the Biden administration was about rolling out a vaccine, was about getting money 
to people who had been economically devastated by the loss of work, right? The loss of homes. If you remember, we were seeing on the news people in food lines that were wrapped miles down the road. And yet, I can't tell you the last time that I remember anyone on the news, in the papers, talking about COVID-19. It's almost as if they want us to believe that it never happened, that our lives shouldn't have been altered in the way that they are. But by virtue of me coming to you every day from my bunker, knowing that there are millions of Americans who still work remotely, if not more than half of the time, our entire workforce has been reshaped and reimagined because of COVID. How we use or don't use public transportation, how we have turned over most of our lives to Amazon, right, in our reliance for goods and services. Every aspect, how we deal with the fact that when we're in public and we hear somebody cough or sneeze, the feelings of angst or concern, while there aren't as many people that still wear masks on a regular basis, masks won't be gone, I don't think ever from our society. Something that prior to the pandemic, we never saw here. So what does it mean to work towards establishing a day of recognition? a COVID Memorial Day that honors those that we've lost and all that we have lost, that gives us a space and time to deal with the collective trauma that we've experienced and continue to still experience. You know, the other day I was saying to a friend of mine that I think that I have started to develop a bit of agoraphobia. I used to be a person prior to the pandemic, like everybody else, you know, totally fine taking really packed subway cars and, you know, being that person that would cram their way into a subway because I didn't want to wait the 15, 20 minutes for another one to come. A person that, you know, liked crowded spaces and, you know, bars and restaurants and, you know, didn't mind sitting shoulder to shoulder with people like the energy that I experienced in those places. And over the last couple of years, I have noticed that I have heightened anxiety when I am in public. I really, very rarely do I take the subway because I don't have to because I work from home. And when I am in crowded spaces and places, I tend to try and look for this space that has the most air around me and kind of stay at a distance from other people. Those were not habits that I had before the pandemic. And I find that there are days that I could, in fact, not leave my house because I have become accustomed to 
working, eating, you know, kind of moving around my space, having all of the things that I need. I also have a private outdoor space. So if there are days, there are sometimes a week where I find that I haven't been outside in two days. I'm not saying that it's normal. I don't think that it is. But what I recognize is the subtle ways in which living in a global health pandemic has changed my personality, my demeanor, the way that I show up in space and in place, how I kind of have to work myself up when I'm going to larger events because they're all back on people's calendars. And so I think that it's really important to not forget about COVID-19, not to forget about the loss that we've experienced, not to forget about the ways that our lives have been fundamentally changed and not allow for politicians, whether they be the good Democrats or the white supremacist nationalist party, to kind of gaslight us into believing that all is okay now. There are millions of Americans that are suffering from long COVID. There are millions of Americans that are experiencing and continue to experience mental health and emotional health issues and crises that we're not talking about or paying attention to. And I don't think that it's just because it's too hard. I think that people don't want to. And I think that if we don't create space and place and time in order to air out those grievances, that grief, the stress, the anxiety, the pain that we are all holding, what happens to us in the long term? So I'm really excited to bring to you Kristen Urquiza's conversation on her quest, which I think should be a collective quest to make sure that the lives that were lost are remembered and that they mattered. So coming up next, my conversation with the co-founder of a really important organization, friends, that, you know, I never really say, you know, listen to this organization or others that kind of bring these conversations, but marked by COVID, I think it's an important one. And their quest to memorialize this experience, this collective trauma that we have had, I think is needed. And to make sure that as Kristen says in the episode, that it doesn't become a Columbus day. It doesn't become this, you know, fairy tale story that we tell over time because the truth just becomes too hard to bear. So coming up next, my conversation with Kristen Urquiza. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to Woke AF Daily for the very first time, Kristen Urquiza, who is the co-founder of marked by COVID, the nation's top disaster equity advocate, so that I don't miss anything, Kristen, please tell the Woke AF audience more about marked by COVID. What is marked by COVID? Uh, when did and when did it start? 
Absolutely. And I just got to start off by saying, really, um, I'm excited to be here as well. I'm a huge fan of the pod and everything that you've been up to. Um, it's Thank you. great to be in the company of friends uh, who get that what's going on right now and a whole host of issues and in our government is not right. Um, but Mark by COVID, which is the group I lead and co-founded, is an, an organization born out of the pandemic. Uh, founded and led by people who lost loved ones to COVID, myself included. Um, in June of 2020, my dad came down um, sick with COVID-19 and passed um, at the end of the month. And before mm. vaccinations were even available, four other members in my family died from COVID. Um, we are a Latino, Mexican-American family that are essential workers uh, who didn't have the luxury to uh, work from home during the shutdowns and have continued to be out there making sure that uh, lattes are served and groceries mm. are delivered. And for me, the impetus behind uh, Mark by COVID was not only a way to channel my grief and rage at the handling of this pandemic, but also a way to build community with this new frontline community that has been emerging that's been most harmed by COVID. And since um, that sort of initial finding uh, uh, or beginning, we um, have chapters and cities and states across the country working with um, the bereaved people living with long COVID and then also folks who are sort of in this really tough situation right now of being at higher risk of severe COVID um, to not only remember this pandemic, but work for COVID justice. Um, so that's um, sort of us in a nutshell and, and my background as well. Amazing. And Kristen, I am so sorry for uh, the losses that you've sustained um, over the last, you know, three years that we, that we are going into. And I just, I really appreciate your work, um, and, and your, your willingness to, to, to talk and to kind of, and to talk about COVID. I was saying to you before we even started recording that, you know, we just finished the, the Thanksgiving holiday. We're getting ready to move into, um, the, you know, the, the Christmas, um, holiday season. And it came up at my table, my family's table. Um, oh, you know, COVID's done. Like we're, you know, we're over it. We've, we've moved on. Um, I live in New York and mm. I lost my step grandmother in November of 2020 to COVID. Um, three weeks mm. after she came down, um, with COVID. And again, this was also before the vaccine was available. Um, and three weeks after she was diagnosed, she was in the hospital and she was gone. Um, and what I think is really challenging uh, about the work that you're doing, and, and I, I want to hear from you, is that we live in such a bifurcated space around COVID. Mm -hmm. On one hand, you have over a million people died during this, the heights of the pandemic, you have people that are still being hospitalized. And yet, Kristen, it is gone. 
from the airwaves. It is gone from television. It is gone from the papers. Um, The only time that it's being brought up right now is because of the pushback and the protests that are happening in China, where people are done with the zero COVID um, policies that the government has had in place. But outside of those protests, we've heard nothing in our own country. So how do you how do you do your work, right, with something that is being purposefully, I think, invisibilized and erased from mm-hmm. our from from our day to day lives and from our consciousness of what we have gone through collectively as a nation? Well, it is not easy um, to confront the cognitive dissonance on a daily basis, and everything that you I've just shared is is absolutely true. There is a concentrated campaign to downplay, dismiss, deny what has happened and what is happening. And as somebody who I you know is a, a millennial and an elder millennial, I can't help but think about this moment and look back to the early '90s whenever climate change first came onto the radar, and feel as if the same exact thing is happening where. There are a small bit of of special interests that feed our capitalistic system to extract Mm -hmm. wealth, resources, health, especially from already marginalized communities like ours um, that are just working to pull the wool over our eyes that this isn't something that we should worry about. But what really worries me is that um, this is still here. We are still losing more than 300 people a day to COVID in the U.S. More than half of those people are fully vaccinated. We are on track to have COVID-19 be the number three killer behind cancer and heart disease for the third year in in a row. And people who are indigenous, black, and Latino have lost at least four years of life expectancy since Mm -hmm. the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, That is unprecedented. And it just gives me chills thinking about this mass disabling event, as well as this Mm. humanitarian crisis that we are stumbling through, that our government is working to pretend is over. And to move us back to this idea of, you know, it's all normal. And that doesn't even take into account the massive amount of losses that we are, are, are have experienced and are experiencing and our need, need to grieve, our need to take stock of what we've been through, acknowledge that, and internalize lessons learned so that we do not repeat history itself. And so this has been... Um, a a sort of work that I never would have expected to have taken these twists and turns whenever we started a couple of years ago. But something that does give me hope is seeing and working alongside of a whole group of emergent leaders and activists who have seen some of the worst sides of the pandemic, who are committed to saying never again, and we must not forget what we're going through 
and what we deserve as communities to have strong public health systems, to have mm -hmm. access to clean air, to be able to go to work and know that we're not going to be put in harm's way. All of these fundamental civil rights, we are deciding them right now and how we quote unquote recover. And part of the work of Mark by COVID is really drawing a line in the sand and saying our loved ones, we will not allow them to die in vain, that, mm -hmm. the, that their legacy needs to be preserved, that this this could have been avert this could have been averted had we taken the right steps and at any given moment act with courage and conviction and prioritize life over capital. I mean, Kristen, there is so much there uh, that you have said that I'm just in awe of. I think that for me, the comparison that I make to COVID and the erasure is what happened in the 1980s during the beginning of the AIDS crisis and mm -hmm. how the AIDS crisis was at that time in the 80s, which people don't you know, remember or were not born um, yet that are that understand the pandemic now was only concentrated at that time to gay men. Right. So mm -hmm. it was just like, oh, well, we don't need to care. Right. Because of our uh, our society's issues um, in dealing with homophobia uh, at that time and continued issues ar around that. But the, the purpose of so many campaigns and the AIDS quilt that I remember mm -hmm. that I like I had very kind of like fuzzy mem like fuzzy memories of. But I remember that the impact was so big because that quilt that would be unfurled, you know, in in front of the in front of the White House, like on the, not in front of the White House, but on the 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 Capitol on the mall was so profound because it was like, see us, see the yes. loss. Right. And I yes. feel like that is what marked by COVID is doing is just like, wait a minute, you know, like our family members, our loved ones, your colleagues, your friends, like they mattered. And I think that, yeah. you know, that this, this desire is, it, it is, it is politically driven, right? Because it is no longer, nor had it ever been because at the beginning of COVID, we had a president who exacerbated the issue, who politicized health and who effectually, you know, was responsible for the deaths of nearly half a million Americans by the time he left office. And then I think mm -hmm. about when the Biden administration came in, they held a vigil for the, at that time, it was 400,000 Americans that had died so that we could collectively take a moment, take pause and grieve that we were not imagining the trauma and the tragedy that was attached to living and continuing to work during a global health pandemic. But here we are fast forward as we're heading into 2023 and COVID is not gone. Uh, as many people would like to believe, but our empathy, Kristen, mm -hmm. seems to has also been erased. And I want to talk to you about how marked by COVID on top of dealing, because I also want to get to the long COVID piece uh, of this that again is, is, is not talked about, mm -hmm. but how the empathy has been lost. And yet I know a lot of people 
that are still trying to deal with the shifts in their own personalities, their own day-to-day lives. Work has been transformed during this time. A majority of people that I know who have the privilege to have been remote during that time are still, at least a majority of the time, still remote. Like every fundamental aspect of our lives have changed, and yet we're pretending it hasn't. Which is why mm-hmm. Miriam Webster named gaslighting the, the word for 2022. Oh my gosh. I was, I was like, props, props to you, Miriam Webster, because that is what this has been a huge gaslighting campaign. And, and from folks who came into office saying that they were going to do things differently. And that doesn't mean that like I don't see or we don't see the Herculean effort that went into distribution of vaccines and development right. of other treatments. But, you know, we were we were promised to be told the truth. And what we're seeing is a sort of march back of resources, prioritization, when we're still very much in the middle of this COVID uh, crisis. And to kind of riff off of what you were talking about with the AIDS crisis and the memorial quilt, I'll have to share with you this little tidbit. Um, Two days after my dad uh, passed, my partner and I were um, taking a hike um, right outside of Phoenix where where I'm from. And the thing we kept on talking about was the AIDS quilt. And that moment and recognizing that unfurling on the mall and seeing the president and the vice and the first lady and the vice president taking those in, that was the moment for me as a little girl who knew there was something big going on, but couldn't quite understood it, realized those were people. Those were Americans. Those were folks that were part of our society and economy and who left behind loved ones whose lives mattered. And we said to ourselves, we have to figure out how to make these numbers be people, to humanize this again. And a big part of the Mark by COVID work has been helping others share their story, giving people permission to be angry, to be sad, to have those emotions of this should not have happened, and to demand better for their loved ones, but also all of ourselves. I do not want to be living, and nor do we need to be living in a society where access to public spaces has been more limited to people in the chronically ill and disabled community than since like the 1970s, because there is an entire universe of individuals who are at risk, irrespective of vaccination status, of high-risk COVID, meaning they could still die very well because they get sick. Um, through no fault of their own. So it is our responsibility as a society to help one another. And I think on that piece of empathy, I will share that one thing I have been blown away by time and time again is the, the diversity within our community itself. Yes, by and large, most of the people within Marked by COVID um, come from communities of color or had loved ones who were elderly in a nursing home, sort of these folks on the margins, um, this, our, our island of misfit toys. But the thing that I have seen time and time again is people being able to build bridges across differences, rural individuals, urban folks, people who um, you know, have a totally different like immigration status or are not mm-hmm. documented, coming together 
and really seeing one another as human beings and building bridges from there. And I think that addressing our grief head on, creating spaces like our memorial work allows us to see the humanity in one another again. And through our memorial work, I've had some of the most uplifting, healing conversations with people who haven't even experienced COVID loss, who will see one of our memorials and drop to the ground and say, I didn't lose anybody, but my God, I've been so overwhelmed by this loss and have not had a space where I feel like I can actually just be with this. And that is what we are working to do through our National COVID Memorial Project, through our work to establish a permanent COVID Memorial Day for the first Monday of March. Yes. And the calendar for us to come together, to be able to mark that we went through this, our country endured this. We've lost a million people in counting and tens of millions more people are suffering through a myriad of ways, economic downfall, long COVID, and intersectionality of all of those things coming together. So I think that our grief is our superpower. That's the thing that I think is going to help us see one another as people again, as human beings again, and then be able to kind of figure out how do we rebuild in a way that really values these, you know, central tenets of, of life first, Mm -hmm. life, liberty, (laughs) pursuit of happiness. (laughs) It just see, it seems so basic, right. To be able to, you know, commemorate honor loss and collectively grieve. And I'm wondering, Kristen, if, if, if during your work, um, to try and get this nationally recognized, do you have, you know, support from some members of Congress? Like, are there, you know, do you have sponsors or of, of a piece of, of a resolution or bills or a bill in terms of recognizing this, this day, creating this day? Um, that's sort of a, a good thing to report back on. So we've worked both, um, uh, uh, members of Congress, but also folks on the state and city level to introduce resolutions marking the first Monday of March as COVID uh, Memorial Day. Um, so far, we've uh, worked with over 175 cities to recognize that day. Wonderful. Eight states um, have introduced legislation to recognize that day. And we have a bill both in the Senate and in the House um, that would recognize that day as as um, COVID Memorial Day. Um, we're, we're working to get that reintroduced in the new Congress and this upcoming mm-hmm. uh, March 6th, which will be the first Monday of March, um, are planning to observe it for the third year in a row with our community and broader community. Um, I'm looking forward to connecting with more teachers and, and sort of other um, individuals who are can start to develop curriculum around this and really just thinking about what are the rituals that we can do despite yep. the gaslighting that's coming on to really codify history. And this is something else that I was thinking about um, really closely right after my dad died. And um, I'm sure you'll get a laugh at it. The thing that came to mind within the first week was 
I'll be damned if I let them turn COVID into some Christopher Columbus version of discovering America. Come on. <laughs> and and it, it, you know, the, the, the term revisionist history was something that I was familiar mm. with. I've used before, but in that emotional state, I thought about that whole whitewashing campaign that folks like you and I and others yep. who are of our age were taught that like, you know, this was all hunky dory when in fact our country was built upon genocide of native peoples and uh-huh. it built on the backs of free labor labor from enslaved black individuals. So it's just mm-hmm. like, no, 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 we're not going to allow COVID to be this time that we were, oh, all on Zoom and it was a little difficult. No, this is the time in which our government decided to politicize this. And then they decided to continue to mislead the public so that we could have this fantasy of business as usual, which only lines the pockets of a few at the cost of all of us. A hundred percent. Before I let you go, um, Kristen, I do want to uh, talk about long COVID um, because I think that it is an issue that has not received the type of attention that it should, that those that have a myriad of symptoms and issues that continue to progress, whether that be the occasional loss of smell and taste, the consistent migraines, the um, overwhelming exhaustion that now you're unable to work, the dizziness, all of these, you know, different, and I'm sure I'm missing a host of things, but that have really um, created a different disability lane. Um, as it, as it, as it, so can you just talk a bit about some of the things that we don't know and the misnomers that we have about long COVID, um, so that folks continue to inform themselves and those around them? Yes. Long COVID is real. It is a post viral condition in which, um, the symptoms that you named and others persist way after the acute phase. So a couple of things that are really, really essential for folks to to sort of examine and, and reconcile with is that a mild COVID case can lead to long COVID. And in fact, most long COVID cases were mild cases of COVID, meaning oh, you wow. didn't go to the hospital, mm-hmm. you didn't need oxygen, you weren't, you know, severely in distress, but you had those, you know, cold or flu-like symptoms. Um, second of all, the more times you get COVID, the, the data is showing that that leads to susceptibility of long COVID. So our current strategy of let it rip, just get sick, take time off, you know, two to three times a year, that is putting us all at higher risk of having these long-term dehabilitating um, symptoms, which I have to remind us all, we do not have a social system to catch us either in health or in wealth should we fall. And this is something I was just talking to some friends of mine um, going back to Arizona uh, for the holiday season and was like, I would love to see you, but I do not have the intergenerational wealth nor the trust fund to gather indoors without knowing my status, without masking. So if we see each other, we're going to have to 
participate in some pretty strong COVID precautions to keep myself safe, but also to do my part. And we're not having that sort of conversation uh, amongst ourselves or even have that language because this all goes back to the fact that nobody knows about long COVID. And the people that have been on the front lines of long COVID are the patients themselves, advocates like myself. I'm lucky enough to not have long COVID. My mother does, though. So I'm a caretaker of a person with long COVID. And I, 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 mm-hmm. I, it terrifies me. This is an unknown. And I am not willing to play COVID roulette on my life with the life yeah. of, of, you know, people I love, with my broader community, and with society at, at, at large. And there's some simple things that we could do right now to make a big difference on long COVID. We need a ton more funding to advocacy and research to ensure that we are getting one step ahead, but we also need to be thinking about what are the mitigation measures to control the spread, this unchecked spread that's still happening and that will continue throughout this colder holiday season puts us all at increased risk of long COVID if any one of us gets sick, even if it was mild or asymptomatic. Kristen, I, I got to say, um, one, I thank you so much for founding this organization, for continuing to spread the gospel um, on COVID, for fighting, for empathy, uh, for recognition, um, and, and fighting against the erasure of the trauma that we have all experienced, whether we lost someone or not over the last three years. Um, and really you're on the front lines of stopping the gaslight, uh, around, around COVID and the fact that, oh, it was no, it was no big deal. And, and now it's gone. So I, I really just want to say, I appreciate you. Please tell, um, my listeners how they can, um, find out more, um, and, and get involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we often joke around how marked by COVID is a gaslight free zone. Um, you can find us, <laughs> you can find our website at markedbycovid.com. We're also on the major social media channels. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat at marked by COVID. And we have a community meeting every Thursday at 430 Pacific, which is open not only to people who have lost loved ones or are living with long COVID, but folks who want to be in a space where we don't downplay the threat and are working together to make the world a better place. So would love to connect with um, any of the viewers who want to get involved um, and join us on the front lines. Yeah. And Kristen, I would love to have you back in March um, as, yeah, you, as, you, as you look to, to, to mark um, the, the third anniversary, uh, of COVID. So we, we will absolutely look to make that happen. Um, and to just hear about the progress, um, and, and what folks can continue to do. Kristen, thank you so much. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much for your work and, you know, folks check out marked by COVID, uh, and get involved. We appreciate you. Thanks, Danielle. And thanks, uh, Woke AF community. You all are amazing. That is it for me today, dear friends, on Woke AF as always. Power to the people and to all the people. Power, get woke, and stay woke as fuck.
Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 